This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 49. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, thanks very much, Hannah. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's so nice to finally be, see so many of you in person after such a long time away. Um, today, we'll be finishing up our sermon series from Luke 6 on the, the Sermon on the Plain by looking at verses 43 to 49, as you just heard read. Now, when I was growing up, I, like maybe some of you, didn't really like going to the dentist. I didn't mind getting cleanings as much, but getting cavities filled was another thing. And I happened to get a lot of these as a kid. So I have many, many memories of sitting in the dentist chair while they worked on my teeth. Now, today I've noticed that some dentist's office, they'll have screens available so you can actually watch Netflix as you're getting your teeth done. And that was the case for my first dentist here in Vancouver. And it was pretty great. But when I was growing up, all we had were posters taped to the ceiling that you could stare at for the 45 minutes that you were in the chair. And my dentist didn't seem to change these very often. So I remember reading the same ones over and over again. One of these posters in particular stood out to my about 11-year-old self at the time. And the gist of it has stuck with me over the years. It's a poem called, If I Had My Life to Live Over, by Nadine Stair. And she writes, If I had my life to live over again, I'd dare to make more mistakes next time. I'd relax. I'd limber up. I'd be stillier than I've been this trip. I would take fewer things seriously. I would take more chances. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who is sensible and sane, hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments. If I had to do it over, I'd have more of them. In fact, I try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day. I've been one of those persons who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, and a parachute. If I could do it again, I would travel lighter than I have. 
If I had to live my life over, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would go to more dances. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. And as I read this poem over and over a number of times from my dental chair view, I remember wondering as a child what it all meant and if I would end up being someone who would live life well. How do you measure a life well lived? Is it like the one described in this poem, being fully present to each moment with fewer fears of the future? I think there's some wisdom to this. Jesus invites us not to worry about our lives, but to trust our Heavenly Father with what we need. But we're also invited in Scripture to live with a purpose, to live on purpose. And today in our passage in Luke 6, verses 43 to 49, we'll see another take on a life well lived. It's described as a matter of fruit and foundations, of character and construction. Jesus describes a life well lived as one that flows from the inside out and one that puts first things first. It gets the foundations right. So we'll see two answers today to the question of how to live life well. First, a life well lived comes from the inside out and second, a life well-lived is built on the right foundation. So let's take a look at this text together. So Luke 6 verses 43 to 49 is made up of a few short parables. And parables, as you may know, are stories told to communicate a message. But the message isn't told directly. It's told in sort of a roundabout way that invites the listener to lean in and really pay attention to what's being said. So in this way, it sifts out those who weren't even looking for an answer in the first place. And our first point is in verses 43 to 45. A life well lived comes from the inside out. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So here we actually have two short parables. The first is about trees and fruit, and the second about storehouses, so the heart being a storehouse. And the meaning of these is quite straightforward in a way. I think it's the application that takes a little bit more work. So the first parable about fruit in verses 43 to 44, Jesus reminds, it reminds Jesus' listeners that a person, how a person lives will flow out of who they are. Their character will be reflected in their words and in their actions. And the second about storehouses in verse 45 is similar. The words a person speaks comes from what's stored up inside. What someone says can show what kind of person they are. It will reflect the motivations and the attitudes of their hearts. If you want to read more about this, you can take a look at the book of James. It also contains a lot about the danger of the tongue and how hard it is to say the right thing all the time. So listening closely to what someone says can tell us a lot about that person. A friend of mine once told me that if you don't know what an extrovert thinks, it's because you aren't listening. And if you don't know what an introvert thinks, it's because you aren't asking the right questions. 
The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. But why was it important for Jesus to remind his followers of this? Isn't this kind of obvious? What did he expect them to do? To start off, I think it's helpful first to look at what Jesus did not expect them to do, to judge other people. If you remember, the passage we looked at last week, just before, was a reminder not to be quick to judge. So Jesus can't be telling this parable now as an invitation to start telling people off about what they say and what they do. But I do think he has a couple reasons in mind for telling these parables. It's a reminder for one to be discerning about who they listen to, whose teaching they follow. There's a difference between not judging others and blindly trusting them. We need to be wise about who we listen to. And I can't help but wonder if maybe Jesus was thinking about the Pharisees as he said this. Um, they were the religious teachers of the time. They were the ones people were meant to listen to. And yet they're also described as those who loved money and honor and failed to care for the poor. So if you want to know if someone's a trustworthy teacher, if what they say is worth paying attention to, look at the fruit of their lives. Look at how they live. What they say and what they do will come from the same place, from the inner person. And there's no place for hypocrisy in God's kingdom. I was in the Holy Land a number of years ago with a group of university students from UBC, and we had the chance to go to the Bethlehem Bible Institute and hear one of the professors there speak. Now, I've forgotten most of what he said that day, but one point stuck with me. He said that any theology that leads to oppression of the poor is not sound theology because we know from scripture that caring for the poor is something that's so close to God's heart. So we might be suspicious of what someone teaches if it has as its outcome something that's contrary to the word of God and to God's very character. The fruit of a person's life and the outflow of their teaching can be an indication if their words are worth listening to. Today, I think that we live in a time where it seems hard to know what's true. Christians are divided about politics. We've been divided this year about viruses and mask wearing. We're divided about what authorities to listen to. We can be distrustful of leaders and um, rightfully distrustful of what we read on Facebook, I hope. But how can we know who we should listen to? So one indication might be to look at the fruit of the person's life because what they say, what they teach, and what they do will come from the same place. You might be able to hide who you are for a time, but the inner person will come out. Another indication is to look at how a particular teaching aligns with scripture. Any, th any theology that brings harm to our neighbor, for example, that does not flow out of love for them, is probably not sound theology, because Jesus calls us to love God and to love our neighbor. When we really get down to it, Jesus is the only human who was perfect. He was the only real good tree who bore good fruit all the time, who lived selflessly for God and for others. So his words are the ones worth listening to above all. So I think this passage is an invitation to us as Christians to be more discerning. We need to learn to think through things well, to know what Jesus teaches, and to be able to understand how what other people say lines up with this. Each tree, whether good or bad, is known by its fruit. So be wise about who you listen to. 
Along with this, these parables are also a reminder to Jesus's followers that cultivating the inner person matters because what you do and say flows from what who you are, from what the spirit is doing in your life. How we live and speak can be an indication of how we're doing spiritually as well, whether we're moving away from God or towards him. Um, I think in my own experience, things like forgiveness is an important example of this. If we're holding bitterness against someone, for example, it will color the way we speak about them. I can think of one incident in my own life that happened a number of years ago that I thought I had totally gotten over, only to be surprised by all the bitterness that came up when I was talking about it with someone. Paying attention to how we speak can be an indication of what's going on inside. And this is helpful for us to notice, because as we realize this, then we can ask God to be at work in us to bring about his healing. We can invite people to pray for us. And as God works in us, we will bear even more fruit. Now, this isn't to say that we won't all have bad days or difficult seasons. Even healthy apple trees will grow less perfect fruit at times. Um, Bach in his commentary writes, Jesus's remarks here are not designed to examine individual moments in a life, but the pattern of a career long walk with God. The point, this point is significant because everyone sins or perhaps goes through a period of sin. Such people may deeply regret their failure afterwards, yet it can make them wonder if their fruit makes it impossible to say that they know God. We are all works in progress. And one difficult chapter in our lives doesn't sum up the whole story. But as we invite God to do his work in us, we can know that he's committed to enabling us to bear good fruit. How do you measure a life well lived? It comes from the inside out. And that brings us to our second point. A life well lived is based on a good foundation. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So in this parable, Jesus is telling his followers about the importance of putting the words that he's spoken into practice, of actually living it out. And this parable, in a way, wraps up our whole sermon series um, on the plane that we've been looking at these past few weeks, with a warning not just to listen, but also to do. It divides those listening into two groups, those who hear and then act on what they've heard, and those who only hear. And the people looking to be followers of Jesus can fall into either group. Now, this image of building a house would have been a familiar one at the time. In the ancient Near East, it might have been tempting for someone to build a house on the clay in the summer when it was rock hard, because it seemed pretty secure, and not bother to build a proper foundation. But when the rainy season comes, as it always did every year, the hard clay would soften again and the house would collapse. 
We see echoes of this kind of imagery in the Old Testament as well. In the book of Ezekiel, for example, he uses the similar image of a storm to describe what will happen to the false prophets in chapter 33. So in the same way, the way a person chooses to live and the things on which, which they base their lives might seem good in a particular season. The house seems sturdy, life is going well. But eventually, what they've built their house on will be shown for what it is. When the storms of life hit, when they're faced with difficult situations, the foundation they've built on might not seem as solid as it once did when the conditions were pretty good. And ultimately, at the end of time, when what they've spent their whole life building will collapse. I can't help but thinking about the tragic apartment collapse in Florida that was been in the news a lot this past month. What seemed to be safe and secure turned out not to be. We need to build our lives on what's lasting. In contrast here, those who hear the words that Jesus has spoken, who hear his call to care for the poor, to love their enemies, to forgive, to seek the good of all, to be generous instead of judgmental, those who hear and choose to live it out, they're like people who built their house on a good foundation and what they build will last. And what is this good foundation? It's Jesus himself. Paul captures this well in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Some scholars also believe that this passage is talking about Jesus as replacing the temple as the foundation on which the people of Israel are to build. But what's clear here is that Jesus himself is the only solid foundation in life. And it's interesting comparing these two stories that um, other than the foundation, there are a lot of similarities. Um, both people heard Jesus's words, both houses may have been identical, but the differences weren't revealed until the conditions changed. So how do we know we're building on a good foundation? We can know we're building our lives on Jesus as we live out what he says, as we obey what he teaches. This is a good indication that our foundation is secure. Now, some of you might be thinking, and this came to mind for me as well, well, why this focus on obedience? Isn't believing faith enough for salvation? Of course, we're saved by faith in Christ. I don't think that Jesus is saying here that we earn our salvation in any way what we, by what we do. But he is pointing out that something is very wrong if someone calls him Lord, curios, a sign of respect, but doesn't actually take what he says seriously. And as we just saw in this parable about the tree and the fruit, what we do and say will inevitably flow from who we are and from what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So if there is no life change at all, this is an indication that we're building our houses and founding our lives on something other than Jesus. Because some things can't be done half-heartedly. You can't build on a good and bad foundation at the same time. Maybe you've watched those game shows where the contestant has to pick the prize behind num doors number one, two, or three, and choosing one door means then saying no to the other two prizes. Here, Jesus is telling his listeners that there are two ways to live. There are two doors to choose from, and choosing one means saying no to the other. Either they choose Jesus as their foundation and shape their lives around obeying his words, or they choose anything else in life. It's a picture of discipleship, 
The verbs used here to come, to hear, and to build a house are in the present tense, showing an ongoing process. In contrast to the description in verse 49 about not building on a good foundation, it has the sense of being already accomplished. It's a life without any growth in discipleship. And what's being built, although it may seem solid for a time, will not last. So we can choose today to invest in building things that will last for eternity. If we want, to our if we want what we're investing our lives in to really matter, we need to make sure that the foundation is solid. And this all seems to tie back to our sermon about three weeks ago about the blessings and woes in verses 20 to 26. A problem with the rich, if you remember, is that they may be tempted to place too much reliance on their wealth, to put a pursuit of money, power, and success as their life foundation, while the poor may be more likely to turn to Jesus as their foundation because they don't have anything else, and so build a lasting house. And what does it look like to obey Jesus and his words? He sums this up in Luke 10, by loving God and by loving people. Now, what does this look like for us today? How does this parable apply? I think for us who have heard Jesus' sermon this month, there are still only two ways to live, and we can still only choose one. And if we choose Jesus, we're meant to put his words into practice to commit to lives of discipleship, and so to build on a good foundation. And this means taking the time to find out what kind of life Jesus is calling us to. What did he actually teach? It's to invest in relationships with people, like people here who will encourage us in this growth. And it's to be inviting God by his spirit to help us, knowing that we can't do it alone. What do you think might help you the most this year to grow as a disciple of Jesus in your daily life and in your workplace? I think this is worth thinking about. Maybe ask others in your community here how they do it. We can help each other this way. Now, being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that we will escape the storms of life. These will come to shake our houses, whether they're built on good foundations or not. But as we grow as his followers, investing in a strong foundation, we can know that we will ultimately not be destroyed by these things, that God's with us and we're building our lives on something that is lasting. How do you measure a life well lived? By the foundation on which it's built. And just to wrap things up then, I'd like to bring us back to the poem we looked at at the beginning. How would you live differently if you had your life to live over? Do you know, I think this is a question we don't even need to ask because what matters is today. No matter our past, today we can choose to invest in the inner person. Today we can invite God to be renewing us by his spirit. Today we can experience his forgiveness and choose to forgive others. Today we can choose to obey Jesus and be wise about what other teachers we listen to. Today, we can choose the foundation on which we're building our houses and our lives. We can commit to ongoing discipleship, knowing that whether rich or poor, God desires to give us his kingdom if we have the eyes to see its value and the ears to hear his call. And ultimately, he is the one who will show us how to live life well. Let me pray for us. 
Father God, thank you that you are committed to bringing about your will in our lives, to working good and for our growth. We lift up our lives again to you today and ask that you would enable us to bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.